Hi, this is Giles. I appreciate you tuning in to this podcast and thank you for supporting our ministry campaigns. It's my prayer that these podcasts will help you to experience God's very best in every area of your life. The title of what I'm going to say now is, is called Attracted by God's Beauty or Attracted by His Beauty. And the premise of what I'm about to say is that the kingdom of God doesn't advance by force, doesn't advance by human strength. It doesn't advance by human ability or beauty or any external thing. And it doesn't advance by us just being passionate or zealous. It exists. It advances by none of these things. God doesn't use force to get people to come to him. He attracts them by his beauty because attractions, attraction involves the will of the person being attracted. Force doesn't. Do you follow? Force imposes on the will of the person. Attraction doesn't. When, when you show something that's attractive, that person chooses to look closer, come closer. So the real thing about the new covenant is that we are to reveal Christ, who is the most attractive thing that has ever existed. Rather than, and, and then people out of their own free will will, will go after him and stick with him. Because if you force somebody into the kingdom, you'll be sure that as soon as they've got an opportunity to leave, they'll get out because they know they were forced. And yet a lot of preaching is kind of threatening. If you don't come to Christ, you'll go to hell or you must do this in order to get blessed. It's a lot of demands, demands, demands. But Christ never did that. He never demanded people to follow him. He even gave the disciples an opportunity to leave him. But they didn't want to leave him because they'd experienced his spirit and his words. They were attracted to him. So if you think of the power of attraction, when two lovers meet and their eyes meet, and they have that sort of moment of being attracted, they want to stick together because of that. And that's a poor reflection of what happens when we preach the gospel. We need to get, we need to show the, the face of Christ and get people to look into his eyes, so to speak. Once they see his beauty, they'll want him forever. Okay. Now, we understand that we're attracted to things that are beautiful. But Christ's beauty is not necessarily a physical beauty. Okay. And I'm going to say this and then I'm going to apply this. Okay. Christ's beauty, he may well be beautiful. I've never seen him. He may well be beautiful to look at physically, the person of the Son of God. Um, but that, it wasn't his physical beauty that attracted people. So whenever we try and do things to increase our physical beauty in terms of exterior things to kind of try and make people come to Christ, then really we're, we're on the wrong road in evangelism. Okay. And I say that because today's the day when everybody thinks they need to have, you know, a really cool Instagram page and be a really trendy guy in the fashion or have lots of sort of Photoshop images or have lots of kind of powerful little 
expressions that, that are recorded. And really all of these things are outward, outward attraction. Okay. And you might impress people. You might impose yourself on people, but in the end, they're not attracted because the attraction of Christ is in another place. And I hope you can follow this. I'm going to try and express it because it's quite a deeper thought. So in the Psalms uh, 29 and 96, you can look them up later, but the Psalmist talks about the beauty of holiness or the beauty of his holiness. So Christ's beauty isn't in his physical image, so to speak. It's in his holiness. Um, and that's kind of profound because, like I say, physically Christ may or may not be a, a, an attractive man to look at. I don't know. You can say, well, in the book of Revelation, we have an image of the glorified Christ and he has eyes of fire and hair of wool and all these things. And that's awesome. I don't know if that's terrifying or attractive, though. <laughs> But interestingly, and I'll quote this later, the scripture says that on the cross, Christ had no beauty or comeliness. Uh, we actually hid our faces from him. So it wasn't his physical beauty that attracts. But here the Bible explains that we're attracted by his beauty, the beauty of his holiness. So then you have to think, well, what does it really mean when it, when it talks about the beauty of the holiness of the Lord? Well, God is holy. And what does that mean? It means that God is higher than us he, in, in the sense that holiness means you're separated. You're dedicated to a cause. You're, you're separated from one realm in order to be focused and dedicated on another realm. And, and really the way that God is separate or different than mankind is, is not just that he's more powerful. That's not the issue. The thing that makes Christ stand out from the rest, that makes Christianity a completely different religion, is not power or might. It's actually, it's grace. Because there's no other, other religion, there's no other line of thinking that comes close to grace. That's the extraordinary thing about our God. The scripture says in Isaiah 55 and 9, for as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So in other words, he, his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than ours. So what are these thoughts? Well, mankind's thoughts, the way the world works is that if you're good, you get blessed. If you work hard, you get blessed. If you do, take all the sacraments, you get blessed. You see how religion is really tied into the world's thinking. It's, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's all based on justice, all right? But God's ways are much, much higher, and so much higher that the natural mind can't understand it. And he says, I will bless not those who deserve it, but those who don't deserve it. Wow. I will save not those who deserve to be saved, but those who understand they don't deserve to be saved. This is a different line of thinking, a different level of thinking. So that the, the biggest difference between God and man is that he's a gracious God. That's why he's holy. And in fact, he's not just holy. He's holy, 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 thrice holy God. 
which means that he's holy in action, holy in word, and holy in thought. He, and so the highest form of holiness is grace. So we are, let me kind of help you link the dots here. We're attracted to Christ and our hearts are overcome by Christ when we understand how gracious and how good he is. So he's powerful, yes, but it's actually power. Power can impress you, but it won't necessarily attract you. Somebody comes with a stick of dynamite, you'll be impressed. But that doesn't attract you to get closer. When Jesus filled the nets of Peter with fish, he revealed his power. And, And Peter knelt before him and said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. So he was impressed by the power, but he didn't want to get too close to Jesus. He said, get away. I'm sinful. You're holy. You're powerful. I'm weak. I don't want to be too close. Get away. I'm, I'm in the wrong place here. So power might impress, but it doesn't attract. A lot of preachers think that the power thing attracts. No. They're always wanting to impress people with their power, with their charisma, with their style of clothing, with their presentation, with their performance. Might impress but people won't want to stick close to you, come close to you, be around you. They'll they'll want to see you at a distance, keep you at arm's length. But another time after his resurrection, you remember that Christ had said to Mary Magdalene, go and tell my disciples and Peter to meet me in Jerusalem. And we know that Christ had this meeting with Peter. And then when he was out fishing that time, And he saw Jesus on the shore and and this man on the shore said, throw your nets in on the right side. And they threw him in. And again, it was the second miraculous catch. And Peter recognized, hang on, that's the Lord. Okay. But this time, instead of saying, depart from me, he dived into the water and swam to Christ. So something had shifted. And I believe what had shifted is that Christ had met with Peter, who had denied him, which was a terrible thing to do. And yet Christ had personally wanted to meet with Peter, tell my disciples and Peter to meet me there. So Christ had met with Peter and and had restored him and had forgiven him and had shown him, look, you messed up, but don't worry. I'm here. I'm with you. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to pass my flocks, etc. So it's grace that makes people run towards him, get attracted to him. That's the attractive power of Christ is his graciousness. Now, I want you to see this because we are evangelists and there are two types of evangelists. There are those evangelists who preach the law, which condemns, and there are evangelists who preach grace, okay, which shows the means to be justified the goodness of God. Um, I'm just, again, going to show you Christ's way, and then we're going to apply it to our lives because we need to be imitators of Christ. When at the well, okay, Jacob's well, he goes via Samaria out of his choice. It was a long way. To, it was further to get to Jerusalem via Samaria, but he decided to go that way because he wanted to meet that woman. The disciples go off by lunch. Jesus is left alone, thirsty by the well, sits down. The woman comes up, okay, 
And Jesus asks her to, um, for something to drink. And then he says to her, look, if you knew who I was, then you would ask me for living water so that I wouldn't, you wouldn't thirst again. And she like thinks, wow, that's terrific. Give me some of this water. And um, so the Lord says to her, well, go, uh, go and call your husband. And she replies, well, um, I don't have a husband. So then Jesus incredibly says, well, um, well said, you don't have a husband because you've already had five husbands and the one you're with right now isn't your husband. You've answered truthfully in this, he says. So what you have happening here is something really, really extraordinary. Jesus is showing the woman, first of all, that he knows everything about her life. Okay. And because he's saying, look, you had five husbands. Now, how did he know that? Well, he knew that by the gift of the, the word of knowledge, okay, which reveals information about people. It's one of the gifts of the spirit. So, but what, what the woman realized is that he could see all of her life. Okay. And that's why later when she goes off to invite all the men from her city to come and meet Jesus, what does she say to them? She says, come and meet a man who told me, everything I ever did. So she realized that Christ could see straight through her, knew all the details of her life, which is pretty awesome. Okay. Um, and, and yet, even though Christ knew all about her, the extraordinary thing about this passage is that he didn't condemn her. So what does he reveal to her? He reveals to her that she's had five husbands and she's now on the sixth and she's not married him. Now that's, quite a long list of men he was touching very lightly graciously on her issue what was her issue that she was changing men the whole time i personally think that she was probably very beautiful because if you've had five men and there's still a, a line a queue of men wanting to sleep with you that must mean that you're quite a stunning lady. She's not some old bush in the wilderness, whatever, you know. She's a really attractive flower, this girl. And so Jesus says, you've, got, you've had five, you're on the sixth, but you haven't married this one. And again, he touches very lightly. In other words, he's saying, you haven't married this one because you're going to change him soon too. Mm -hmm. And the reason you haven't married him is because, um, you know, you, you, you're just tired of marriage. Why go through all that? You know, why, why bother anymore? You know you're going to be exchanging him for the next one soon. So, and, and, but the, the incredible thing is instead of condemning this lady, he offers her living water. He does two things. In, in fact, he says he compliments her twice and he offers her living water. Uh, he, he says to her, look, you've, in this you've answered well. So he, he, he shows her that she's a sinful woman. I mean, I like to call her a kind of man devourer. She's just eating up these men. So, but he doesn't condemn her. He just says, you know, 
you've answered truthfully, at least to me, that you don't have a husband. Okay. But then he also offers living water, meaning that he doesn't touch on the sin issue so much as touch on the solution issue. Do you follow? And offers a sinful person living water. In other words, he's saying, look, sweetheart, you've been trying to find satisfaction in a bed with men. Actually, the thing you're really looking for is not in a bed. It's in my presence. It's the living water of God that makes the difference. And that will satisfy you. And that will stop you from jumping from bed to bed. So what am I really saying is here? He treats sinners really graciously, doesn't condemn them, didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Now, really, if you think about it, this generation we live in is one of the most promiscuous in all of the history of man. And yet most preaching is to condemn people for such promiscuous behavior. Isn't that right? Whether it be sleeping around, fornication, pornography, which is a massive industry, as everybody knows, um, whether it be homosexuality, all these things. The body of Christ just condemns, 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 condemns the world for all of this. Whereas Jesus is quite different. He's very gracious, extraordinarily. Are you following the point here? Um, Let's think of another the way that we, we see grace attracting. The story of the prodigal son. Again, I don't want to go into too much detail, but the son came, the Bible says he came to his senses and he said to himself, even in my father's house, the workers, the servants have bread and to spare. So, and we know the, we know the reaction of the father when the son came home clothed him with new robes, killed the fatted calf, put the signet ring on. And so, again, you see this incredible response of grace. And remember, grace isn't just to forgive somebody or to be merciful towards their mistakes, but it's actually to bless them despite their mistakes. It's more than just forgetting the past. It's blessing them in their present for the future. That's grace. And this is so different because, again, most people would either condemn or even if they forgave, they would make sure that that person remembered how bad they were and hold them in debt for the rest of their life. But Christ never does that. The Bible says that he forgets our sins. He has no memory. He chooses not to remember our sins. He clothed us like he clothed the prodigal son in robes. And so he no longer sees us that way. He sees us as a new creation. And so, again, this is a very high expression of grace. Okay. Um, and, but again, it's, it's not, he's not revealing himself, okay, as this kind of, he's not conquering people by forcing anyone. He's just being gracious to everyone and anyone. Um, and because of that, some people are sticking. Now watch this as well, because you remember the account when he heals 10 lepers. And so they all get healed, but only one comes back. Now, Christ obviously is disappointed in a sense that only one came back. He even asks, were there not nine? 
but only one came back, and this is a Samaritan. And so you feel his heart there. But interestingly, he doesn't call fire down from heaven on the ungrateful nine. No. He blesses them and lets them go. Just says, ah, oh, there were 10, you know, where are the other nine? It's a shame. So, and, and in this story, you can see that there's a difference between healing and salvation. So 10 got healed, but only one of them got saved, came back and worshipped him. And so the others missed out. It's true. But Christ didn't withdraw his blessing. He didn't criticize them because they hadn't come back. He was just gracious. He was just a fountain of goodness. The same thing with the rich young ruler. You know, he, the rich, he, he invites the rich young ruler to be part of his discipleship team. That's the extraordinary thing. He says, you know, sell, sell all you have, give to the poor and follow me. He's literally saying, come and be part of my team here. I mean, he could, that rich young ruler could have his name written on one of the pearly gates in heaven right now. But he missed it. He turned it down because he had many riches and he went away sorrowful. But what does the scripture say about the Lord? Scripture says the Lord looked at him and loved him, loved him. So Christ didn't, you know, get mad with the rich young ruler, didn't chase him down, didn't criticize him. He just gave him an opportunity, gave him, blessed him, loved him. So this has to be our, our attitude. If you want lots of people to follow you, don't condemn them for their sins. Just tell them good news. Just tell them the solution. When you touch on sin, touch very graciously, very lightly. The world knows it's condemned. You don't need to dwell there. A lot of people kind of, a lot of preachers want to hang people over hell by a hair, you know, and so sort of threaten them. Unless you're saved, you're going to go to hell. I don't think that's the right way. Or let me say this. I think you can find there is a lot more glory in another way. And the Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Hallelujah. So there are two things that are really going to attract people to you and cause them to be saved. So number one is the message of grace, but number two is the glory of the Lord. And the two things are related because the more grace you speak, the more glory will shine on you and through you. And I'm going to show you the link in a moment. So let's just think about this quickly together here. Don't force people to come to Christ. Attract them by the message. Remember what Jesus said in John 12 and 32. He said, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. I will draw people. I will attract people. I won't force people. But if I'm lifted up, I'll draw them. So then we need to lift up Jesus. Now, when I first read that scripture, I don't know why, going back years, I thought that meant, well, we need to sing about him. We need to glorify him. We need to lift him up. And there are songs. I remember an old Ron Canoli song, lift him up. Da, 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 da. There, and, and there is a level of truth in that. You know, the word lifted up here does mean to exalt. But actually, the expression that the Lord is using 
It's the same expression that he used in John chapter 3, that if the Son of Man is lifted up as the serpent was lifted up on the staff. Okay, so lifting up literally here means if I'm lifted up, if I'm crucified, if I'm put on the cross, I will draw all men to me. So the power of the gospel is actually in the cross. It's when you preach about what he's done, that the God-man, God who became man, died on a cross to save us from our sins. That's how much he loves us. He, he gave himself. That's the center of our message. That's the crux. And, and the thing is, there's so much preaching that isn't about the cross. It's all about what you can do, how life can be better, how wonderful it is, whatever. And we, we bypass the cross. So you might impress people. They may even follow you in order to get some blessings, but most of them don't stick. The attraction to the Lord is when you preach Christ and him crucified. That incredible message about the blood that sanctifies, about the love of the father expressed through the death of his son. And so that's what we have to lift up the whole time. Yes. And like I said, there was no beauty in the cross. So it's not something beautiful physically that's attracting us. It was an ugly scene. So Isaiah 53 and verse 2 says, he has no form or comeliness. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now, I know that's a picture of Christ on the cross. Okay, not perhaps, you know, when he was walking for the, during the time on earth. But even so, there's nothing beautiful in that. And yet I feel we are often trying to present something beautiful to the world. We're not trying to, you know, physically. Um, it's actually the ugliness of the cross that paradoxically attracts people. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying here? Um, you know, I was thinking there's been some songs about Jesus being the superhero for kids. <laughs> Jesus, you're my superhero. You know, we have so many Marvel movies and all these things, and we put Christ into that category that he has superpower. But you know what? Jesus, the superhero, never attracts anyone, will never convert a soul. Jesus, the powerful, doesn't attract. It's Jesus, the gracious one, that attracts. Jesus, the one who laid his life down like a lamb, the weakness of a lamb, not the, the beauty of a, you know, of or, or the power of a superhero so we're presenting the wrong christ to the world often and that's why they're not attracted and that's why also the glory of the lord isn't being released now i'm going to mess with you a little bit in a moment okay um because i believe that there are levels of glory that we can all experience that most ministers have never experienced and i believe that that's one of the reasons why the Lord's giving, you know, wanting us to talk about these things. But just simply right now, it's not that I don't want you to have a nice church building or dress nicely or look after yourself. All those things obviously are important. You need to be presentable. Some pastors are not presentable. They could do with washing their clothes more, brushing their hair more, losing some weight, carrying themselves with dignity. I think those are all important things. 
but that's not that that's that's not the key okay um if you work with social media there are so many kind of pastors who are out there trying to be models trying to be fashion icons trying to show how cool they are how well dressed they are how and it's for me my spirit just closes immediately because they're they're walking in their own strength i remember what the lord said to um zachariah zachariah he said it's not by force nor by power but by my spirit says the lord that's how the kingdom of god advances so it's not by human things it's by the spirit of the lord and the spirit of the lord only manifests on christ the dove descended upon christ no one else the dove descended upon christ so when christ is exalted the dove descends so if you're getting people if you're pointing people to yourself the dove won't descend the holy spirit and its glory won't manifest you need to be like john who saw jesus coming and pointed to him and said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world that's our job we point people to christ when we do that the dove descends and the glory is revealed the word of the father then becomes audible and can change lives if you follow so so here's the key you've got to get the message right okay now the more you reveal the goodness of god the more glory will be revealed in your ministry let me say that again the more you reveal the goodness of god the more glory will be revealed in your ministry all right there are two levels of glory that you can access okay second corinthians 3 and 13 18 says this but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the lord I'm going a little bit deeper today guys but I hope you can follow me. I was thought that glory to glory meant that there are lots of stages of glory that we can go to. That's not really what Paul is saying. What he's doing is he's comparing the old covenant to the new covenant. And he's saying that under the old covenant there was one level of glory, but on the and the new covenant there's another level of glory, much higher. You go from glory to glory. There's only two levels you can operate at. Okay? And then he explains he explains himself in this passage in verse 9 he says that if the ministry of condemnation had glory the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory so it's a much much higher level of glory all right he talks about how the letter kills but the spirit gives life all right the letter there literally means a promissory note so it's a so the 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 old covenant the 10 commandments showed mankind's debt that needed to be paid all right showed how much transgression how much sin the new covenant shows that the debt's been paid if you talk to people about their sins and how much debt they're in with god you will release a level of glory okay but only at this level like moses who had glory on his face but it was it was fading If you preach about how the debt has been paid, the ministry of righteousness, then that you will have much 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 more glory in your ministry. That's where our focus is then. We touch on here, but we preach up here. 
you follow. And the difference is as the heavens are to the earth, because the glory of Moses was on his face, but it, it dissipated, it decreased. People saw his glory and they ran the glory of Moses' face and they ran away from it. But the glory of Christ, when he came down the mountain into the demon-possessed valleys, the multitudes came after him. They were attracted to his glory. So the glory does, under Moses, made people flee, but the glory under Christ makes people attracted. Okay. So, and also, like I said, the glory under Moses, it, it, it disappeared. So what happens is if you preach just about what man's debt is and what man's trouble is, and most, most posts that I see on the internet, most sermons that I hear on the internet are all about, you know, how terrible the world is and, and how the politics of the world is, is causing so many problems. It's all just focusing on the natural level and how people need to come back to God and how sinful we are and, you know, whether it be kind of transgender issues or homosexual issues or, or political issues, it's all focused down here. Now, there is a level of glory there, but there seems to be so few people announcing that the debt has been paid. Hallelujah. Lifting up Christ. Because mankind's sinful. It always was sinful, always will be sinful. It's just a question of which sins doesn't change. So why are we all focused on the sin rather than on the Savior? Are you following me? So the glory level is, can be much, much higher in all of our ministries. Just as much as if you're in a dark room and you light a match to see the way, that, that's good. That will help you light a candle. But if the sun comes up and shines through the window, you're not even going to see the candle anymore. You follow and that's the difference between the glory of the old covenant to the glory of the new covenant. The son of righteousness has now arisen. We don't need the old anymore. We don't need the candle. It's pathetic. It's ridiculous. We have a, an access to a glory that's far superior. And then you compare what Moses did compared to what Jesus did in terms of the glory of the Lord. Yes, Moses was used by God in the wilderness to bring water out of the rock, you know, things like that. But the Bible says about Jesus that if you tried to write down everything that he did, there wouldn't be books and room enough in the world to keep the books for all that he did. So Jesus was just like this walking fountain of miracles and power and glory. And so the Gospels are really just like a trailer to a movie. They just show a tiny clip of what he did. But his life was just a glory-filled life. And then you compare the Old Testament prophets to the New Testament apostles. I mean, Elijah and Elisha did some miracles, but nothing compared to the apostles. I mean, Peter, when he walked around, even his shadow would make people heal. I mean, it was just, they just lived these miraculous lives wherever they went. So they were operating at a much higher level of glory, not at a low level of glory, a much higher. But why? Because they understood the grace of God. Where, and, and, and glory is always linked to grace. So when Moses said to, said to God, show me your glory, 
God replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. So God's, in other words, in, in the, in the perspective of heaven, if you want to get God's glory, see God's glory, you, you see it in his goodness. So God passed by Moses. If you remember the story, he left him in the cleft of the rock, put his hand over his face as he walked by, and then pulled it off so that Moses could only see the back of his head because he said, no man can see my face and live. But even with just the back, the glory was transferred onto Moses. God caused his goodness to pass and glory was released. Now, under the new covenant, we get to behold the Lord. Okay, scripture says, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. But we all with unveiled face. Okay, so we get to look at the face of Christ. What does that really mean? We get to see God in the fullness of his goodness. Jesus, the Bible says in Acts 10 and 44, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and he went around doing good. That's all he did. He was just goodness expressed. Okay. So I know this is a little bit deeper, but I want you to try and get this. And I'm going to bring this to a conclusion now. If you preach good things, okay, to sinners, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. If you point your finger and condemn sinners, the new level of glory won't be revealed. Okay. Now, I'm going to show you how this works in the life of Stephen, because extraordinarily, the Bible says that, um, well, it's in Acts chapter 16, verse 15, it says, all of those who were looking at him, who sat in the council, saw his face and it shined as the face of an angel. Okay, so the glory got so on to, to Stephen that his face began to shine. Wow. Okay. So that, and when somebody's face is shining, that's a real sign and a wonder. But again, the Bible says that about Stephen, that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So in other words, when you see the glory of God, and you see Jesus there, then that glory gets on you. Okay. So then, rather like this, the moon reflects the sun's light, so you get to reflect the light of the sun here on earth. Okay. When Jesus returns, the moon disappears. But right now, Jesus is hidden, and he wants us to be like the full moon, revealing glory in this dark hour. Okay. And so, but you get to be a full moon or a high level of glory when you see, the, you see the glory of God, when you look to the resurrected Christ at the right hand of God, okay? Now, I'm going to just bring this to a close. Um, you know, if the glory gets on you, you will begin to see like Christ sees. The Bible says that Jesus had eyes of fire. Eyes of fire um, don't, if you have your eyes receive light, you can see me now because you're receiving light, but eyes of fire give light, they shine. 
So in other words, if you have the eyes of Christ, then you don't just receive light, you give light. So when you read the scripture, you see things in the Bible that other people don't see. You follow that because you now can throw light on things. You can see things that others can't see, both in the scripture and in the spirit realm. So suddenly you have access to wisdom that other people don't have. When you have access to wisdom, then people will come after you. They'll be attracted to you. When you can see things that other people can't see, they'll be attracted to you. So the Bible says about Jesus that he could not be hidden because every time he opened his mouth, things would come out that nobody else had ever said because he could see things because he had eyes of fire. God wants to put the glory in our faces so that we see things. Okay, that others can't see. And if you get a ministry like that, people will come after you. The multitudes will follow you. You know, there are some ministers like Watchman Nee who just had such an incredible um, depth of understanding from the Bible that he would see things in the scripture that other people couldn't see. And that's why you couldn't hide Watchman Nee. His ministry just went around the world, even though he was in prison. You follow so your, your, your level of influence, the amount of people you'll attract will depend upon the amount of glory on your face. If you can follow that logic. So guys, I, I just kind of want to bang this drum a little bit more. It's not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the Lord, by the glory of the Lord. It's by preaching Christ, by showing his goodness. Um, that's why when I wrote the book, Seven Good Things, um, I wrote it because I know that a gospel preacher is a preacher of good news. So when I do my crusades, I preach God's goodness in Christ. Now, does that mean that everybody gets saved? No, it doesn't mean that everybody gets saved. A lot of people do. But it means that those who have ears to hear get saved. Nowhere in the scripture does it say we're going to save everyone. But when you preach the goodness of God, it will pull out of the crowd those who have been predestined to be saved. Okay. And it will leave behind those who prefer darkness to light. But you've done your job and you've gone home. And the people who have come to Christ now have, come, have been attracted rather than forced or compelled to come. Because you know how it is as a leader. Some of you are pastors too. If people are there in your, in your church who don't want to be there, you're never gonna, they're never going to go very far. That church isn't going to go very far. You're going to need people who want to be there. And people only want to be there if it's a decision of free will, if they're attracted, not forced. Okay. So be zealous, yes. Preach with all your heart, yes. But actually remember this. It's, it's his goodness that attracts. It's his humility. It's his grace, not his outward appearance, not his force. I was meditating this morning on the Lamb of God. One of the names of Jesus is Lamb of God, not Tiger of God, not Dog of God. Those are animals that are strong, powerful, but Lamb, meek, humble. You know, the Lamb 
the extraordinary thing about a lamb is that it's the animal that is easiest to sacrifice. On the farm here in Brazil, I've seen the, the local farm boys slaughter a pig and slaughter a lamb. The pig screams, kicks, fights, wrestles, complains, dies screaming. The lamb, it's, it breaks your heart. The lamb allows you to pick it up, to string it up by the legs, and to slit its throat and doesn't complain even an instant. Wow. See, the power of the gospel is in the humility of the lamb who laid down his life. That's where the power is. But most preachers are trying to show a different type of power, the Jesus, the superhero. Don't do it. And don't you try and be a superhero. I see so many preachers wanting to prove that they're anointed, prove that they can get people to fall down in their meetings, prove that people... And it's all a demonstration of power. Don't do that. Let the glory do that. Do you follow? You don't need to push anyone over. You don't need to show how tough and how great and how intelligent you are. No, just preach the humility of Christ, okay? The grace of Christ. And then you'll find a different type of glory in your meetings that people just want to be there. They're just so attracted to you and to the presence that's on you when you, when you minister. If you have never personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and ask you to wash me clean with your blood. Give me a new heart and a fresh start. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Now that you have prayed that prayer, we believe that you are saved. Get in touch with us at thegreatmission.org to receive your free digital booklet, Welcome to the Family. The ministry of Giles Stevens is maintained by the prayers and financial support of monthly partners. More and more people are looking up rather than around for answers to life and are open to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever the ministry is holding campaigns, Thousands are responding and seeing real-life transformation. Would you consider joining us taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations by a monthly contribution, no matter the amount? Friends, together we can fill God's throne room with people from every tribe, nation and tongue. That's the vision we have for all of our partners, that in the future when we stand before the Lord, we will be able to celebrate together when we see people from all nations coming in as a result of your support. So if you'd like to become a partner of the ministry, please visit us at www.thegreatmission.org. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and to share this podcast with a friend so that God's kingdom can keep growing in you and through you. God bless you.